Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we met, but I am excited to be bringing back more communication uh, research and information. And here to join us is a former guest, which means we don't need any introductions uh, for Dr. Bailey Oliver Blackburn. Uh, And I believe that you have had a change of name since the last time you were on the show. Yes, I still pretty much go by both, but... My last name has changed to Blackburn. I recently got married. Very exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those of you who forget, uh, Dr. Oliver Blackburn was a, uh, a guest way back. What was that? Was that? Were you on season one or season two? I think I was early 2020 or mm. yeah, I think it was the first season. First season. I think you might be right. I just can't remember exactly what, yep, because we talked about divorce and blending families. Uh, That was all the way back, season one, episode seven. So thank you for joining the show once again to talk about uh, another area in which you have a fair amount of expertise, which is the study of conflict in close relationships. Yes, yes. Sometimes those two topics go hand in hand. So You don't say. (laughs) Probably not shocking to most. Okay, so this is actually not the first time we've talked about conflict on this show. Um, We had soon-to-be Dr. Rob Matheny on here also in season one. We talked about something called an intractable conflict, which are these massive, sweeping worldview conflicts that we have with other people that we feel are irresolvable, but we're not going to be talking about that today. Instead, I want to talk a little more about the mundane, the average, the day-to-day conflicts that we have in our lives. And to that end, my first question for you, Bailey, is what even is a conflict? Or maybe if if I could ask that question differently, what isn't a conflict? Yeah, so since y'all have already covered intractable conflict, I think to answer this question, we probably should focus on interpersonal conflict. Um, So first off, if you don't know, interpersonal basically means between people. So between two or more people. And if it's interpersonal conflict, that usually means that it's between two people who are interdependent. And that is a fancy way of saying that they influence one another. And this also means that because they influence one another, because they have this this connection, that also means that usually when conflict happens, there's some kind of urge or or, um, need to resolve it. So the example I always like to use is if a stranger that you pass once when you're getting off the bus calls you a bad name, that might sit with you for a little bit or for a short amount of time. It might ruin, you know, a very small portion of your day. But if someone that you have a close interpersonal relationship with, your friend, your family member, your romantic partner, uh, your coworker calls you a bad name, it's going to sit with you longer. And that's because you're interdependent. So this, this conflict now impacts who else you communicate with in your family, whether or not you're going to act a certain way or be able to do something in your home, if it's your roommate or your romantic partner. Um, so that's one thing that makes this kind of different, particularly from intractable conflict issues is that it involves usually interdependent parties that influence one another. 
Okay, that's a yeah. really good point. So, so then in in that sense, is there anything that maybe we're we're not talking about here today? Yeah. So I think a big word that gets thrown around and understandably so with interpersonal conflict is this idea of perception. And a lot of times people can have a perception in their head or think that conflict's going on, but never actually outwardly communicate it. And when I say outwardly communicate it, I don't just mean telling someone you're upset at them or telling someone, hey, we're in a fight, but those nonverbal things that signal that you are in fact unhappy or you are in fact wanting to resolve or have this urgency to resolve a conflict. So silence or, you know, a change in how you are touching your romantic partner when it comes to how close you're sitting to them or your affectionate communication. So another thing other than in a independence or interdependence, excuse me, that really characterizes interpersonal conflict is the idea of you either have, and it's known to part both parties that you have either incompatible goals or incompatible means Mm. and incompatible goals is I want a, you want B we can't have both. So we have conflict because there are two different goals. But also common is you have incompatible means, which is a way of going about accomplishing a goal. So we're often likely to have conflict when we have the exact same goal. For example, you might share the goal with your uh, romantic partner that we need to change our parenting but you have different means of how to go about accomplishing that goal. One person thinks that there needs to be more disciplinary action. The other thinks that we need to be more triadic and approach discipline together. So you have the same goal, but you're still experiencing a conflict because you have uh, at least perceived incompatible means. So that perception is important there because that's what makes it outward facing. Right, right. And one thing that I always tell my students is that it's very important that when when we're doing a conflict that both parties be aware that there's a problem because when only one of the two parties is aware, uh, it's, it's not a conflict. It's just, it's literally a you problem at that point. So it's all about voicing it. And we'll get to that in just a minute. You mentioned, um, excuse me, you mentioned uh, the extent to which uh, conflicts can uh, relate to goals, either having differing goals or having incompatible means to accomplish the same goal. And that kind of leads me into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is, are there in close relationships in general, are there themes or categories that conflict typically typically falls into like, um, you know, uh, independence or autonomy or power, or uh, are, are there these broad themes that we can sort of attach most conflicts to, or is it really just like, it depends on every sort of different relationship? Well, I'm going to give you the horrible answer, which is it depends. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because a lot of different relationships have different topical conflicts that are common. Uh, for example, if you live together with a romantic partner or roommate, domestic labor is a common conflict topic. Uh, friends have common conflict topics over sharing resources or secrets and that information exchange. Uh, but if we're talking about kind of themes that overlap interpersonal conflict kind of in general, so no matter what your close interpersonal relationship is, uh, I would say that there are kind of three that are really important. And one is what I call resource sharing conflict. Um, so 
if you have a sibling, whether they're a biological sibling, step sibling, what have you, and they they share a residence with you, you've probably experienced some kind of conflict over sharing resources. Now that resource can be a lot of different things. It could be, we now have to share a room. We only have one TV, so we have to share those, but it can also be, uh, we now have to share the attention and affection of our parents. So a common uh, misconception, particularly with sibling conflict, is that there are distinct personalities and responses to conflict if you are an oldest child, a middle child, and a youngest child. But more so what those birth order uh, studies are indicative of is the resources change. The first child expected a certain amount of resources because they didn't have anyone else competing against the resource. Mm. Then when another child was born, that their conflict management changed because now they're ha having to vie for resources. Yeah, I, so, I, I once had a full cookie and now I have to split my cookie with someone else. Exactly. It, but it doesn't just apply to siblings. So mm -hmm. it also, you know, applies to roommates. Uh, you know, if you've ever had a roommate who ate my yogurt, who's going to pay the rent, who gets to decide what we watch on TV. And of course, romantic partners as well, even when it comes to shared resources, not just these tangible things like we've been talking about, but you're also sharing the resource of children, of rituals, of domestic labor, of family networks that are now intertwined. So one of the most common types of interpersonal conflict, if I'm giving it a, a theme category, would be simply over resource sharing. Um, but there's also two more, and I'll go really quick. The second one, which I think is also really common, is conflict over commitment or investment. So the more your relationship develops with someone, whether that's your friend relationship, romantic relationship, even, you know, a coworker, the more that relationship continues, the more you're investing in one another, the more committed you become to one another. So you create these rituals, you have these expectations, you likely commit to some relationships, even legally, like getting married or putting both names on a house. Um, so as that happens, as you get closer, you're actually becoming more interdependent. And the more interdependent you are with someone, the more frequent your conflict is going to be. Mm. So that commitment investment conflict is oftentimes perceived as bad. So the fact that I'm having conflict with my loved one is bad, but instead it simply is indicative that you're in a close interpersonal relationship. Oh, interesting. So you're kind of like flipping it on its head. I like that. Yeah. And then the last one, which I think y'all talked about a little bit in intractable conflict, and we can touch on later, is group conflict. Mm -hmm. Your conflict management is very different if there are multiple people involved than if there is just one person involved. Uh, power is inherently a part of group conflict. It's a part of any kind of conflict, but any group, whether there's formal positions uh, like president or leader or follower, uh, there will naturally be people who step into those roles. So that power kind of changes the conflict a little bit uh, because those aren't as influential in these other types of conflict like uh, that we've been discussing so far. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so if we, I mean, that last one, like, you, you know, as you said, that last one is a little bit closer to like the intractable conflict thing. So if we journey a, a bit more to the interpersonal realm, there is, at least when you talk about relationships, romantic or sexual relationships, uh, there's this term that gets brought up a lot. It's called red flag. We've all heard of it. 
red flags are one thing, right? We usually know what to look out for when a red flag is coming or, you know, we see it in someone else and we say, "Uh oh, watch out for that red flag. Um, what I'm curious about, uh, because a red flag is, is, uh, categorized by what we might call a destructive element of conflict. Mm -hmm. What I'm curious about are some of the more mundane things, some of the more, um, everyday elements of destructive conflict. So what are some of the ways in which we can maybe even unintentionally enact these elements of destructive conflict? Like what should we be on the lookout for in terms of things that we ought not to do or things that we ought to look out for in others? Yeah, I think, first off, I love how this is phrased because a lot of times we do, particularly in popular press, we hear about red flags a lot. You know, people meme about red flags all the time. If this partner does this, you know, that's that's immediately you should run. Um, and just to remind everyone that conflict is not inherently bad. And in fact, conflict management does not mean we manage conflict well. That's why I don't like the word conflict management. I don't like the word conflict resolution because some conflict is not inherently resolved. But instead, we try to, the term I use is pivot. We try to pivot our our conflict from destructive to more constructive. Mm -hmm. So with the whole red flag situation, if you see yourself exhibiting a red flag uh, behavior, Constructive conflict management is simply that you're aware that that's happening and you know how to pivot constructively after. <laughs> so I think that's important because people, you know, sometimes say, oh, there was one red flag and that means that this would, this it can never repair uh, when we know that that's not true. So I think I loved how you phrased this with the red flag arguments. Now, mm -hmm. there are some red flags that you just need to run, of course. <laughs> but <laughs> if we're talking about mundane interpersonal you know, conflict, which is the most common, uh, some of these red flags get characterized as full stop. You can't come back from them. So if we're talking about the more or the less noticeable types of quote unquote red flags, the first one is a term that People always think I make up and it's the term gunny sacking. Oh man, my uh, students love that one. Right? It's whenever students learn about it, they immediately tell other people about it once they learn what the term is. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I tell it to them, they, they immediately think I made it up. So the metaphor here, if you don't know what a gunny sack is, think of it almost like in Western days, ex Western expansion days where you're roaming, you're walking, you are, have a burlap sack. Let's say it's a burlap sack on your waist, tied to your waist. And as you are exploring, you're collecting things to put into that burlap sack. So you see a seed that you can plant later, you put it in your sack. You see a rock that could be a weapon or something, and you put it in your sack. As you continue on, eventually that sack is going to get so heavy that it's going to break. And it's actually going to just bust all at once off of your hip. So stick with me. That's the metaphor here for gunny sacking. Because gunny sacking is when we store up these grievances that we have against a person, particularly someone who's a close interpersonal uh, partner of ours, and we never let the person know these grievances when they're happening. So we store them in this metaphorical burlap sack. Mm -hmm. And then if we store up so many, a random conflict topic might lead us to the sack completely exploding. So unfortunately, usually this conflict topic is nowhere related to any of the grievances that we've been storing up in our sack. Mm 
So you might be in a conflict with your spouse about taking out the trash. And this all of a sudden leads to you saying that you don't like their cooking, their mother's horrible and that they're lazy in bed. (laughs) Right. None of those things, I hope, had anything to do with taking out the trash, but you've used this opportunity, whether you're aware of it or not, as a way to unleash all these unstored grievances. Right, right. And this, I think, is important for everyone to understand because it's a direct result of accommodating and avoiding. I was literally about to, you took the words right out of my mouth. But it is, if you think about it, if I'm constantly getting, and I use the example of roommates here too. Like if you're playing the chicken game with who does the dishes and they just keep piling up, piling Mm -hmm. up, I can guarantee you once you have that fight or that conflict over the dishes, it's going to be about a lot more than just the dishes because you haven't mentioned anything about it. And that that brings up the other element of conflict that often accompanies gunny sacking, which is kitchen sinking. Oh yeah. 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 Kitchen sinking. If you don't know what kitchen sinking is, is it's from the metaphor. You throw everything at someone except the kit, except the kitchen sink or mm-hmm. and the kitchen sink. That's what it is. And so instead of unearthed grievances that you've never mentioned before, you're using a random conflict topic to rehash all these old conflict topics that you thought you had already resolved or managed. So again, you're using a random conflict time because you haven't talked about these in turn to rehash all these old arguments that you've actually already rehashed at Mm -hmm. one point. Uh, So yeah, destructive, not, (laughs) not very helpful. (laughs) Okay. So as we transition now into a conversation about like, what can we do to make this more constructive? I think, I think it's important to note, like you said, that these two specific elements of gunny sacking and kitchen sinking, they come from folks who are sometimes well-intentioned wanting to avoid or accommodate to the needs of their conflict partner and you know you you just never get to voice the issue and then it, you know and then one day it explodes um i think it's worth considering that when we engage in conflict with people um assuming that everybody is good faith if if we get into a situation where we feel like we are resolving smaller issues uh, and resolving and resolving and resolving without necessarily talking about the underlying factor that's leading to those behaviors, we could be in some trouble. That said, as we move to a better understanding of constructive conflict, what can that look like? Like, How do we make that transition, that pivot, like you were saying, from yeah. destructive to constructive? Well, I can tell you that this is the hardest part of conflict is knowing when you need to pivot Mm. and knowing how to pivot in a way that is going to be both well-received and not lead you right back down some kind of destructive um, path. So luckily there are pivots. I mean, that's, you know, what I teach, that's what I study is talking about the pivots we can make in our relationships. And one of the easiest pivots, it's, it's easy, but frustrating is to literally stop and think before you respond to a conflict. Now, before you turn off this podcast right now, because I told you something your mom has probably told you since you were a kid, there's, a purpose to this. And some mediums naturally afford us this. So if someone sends you a rude email, you don't have to immediately respond. You do have that luxury to think about 
composing that email or that text before you send it out. So this is important for a couple reasons. One is that you can think about the consequences of how you're going to respond and what you're saying, but it also allows you to let emotional flooding calm down. And emotional flooding is just like if you flood your engine in your car because you're trying over and over and over again to turn it on, to crank it, crank it, crank it. Emotional flooding when we experience conflict is a natural occurrence. So if I'm in conflict with someone, I have a flood of emotions over me. I might feel guilty. I might feel ashamed. I might feel sad, frustrated, hurt. And if I immediately respond, I might use all of those emotions in that response instead of the ones that could be most constructive. Mm -hmm. So letting yourself have a moment to stop and think or, you know, a little while before you respond is actually one of the most constructive things that you can do. Um, so that could be, Hey, I'm going to need to get back to you changing a subject. So having a buffer subject for a small amount of time or some of the, um, the affordances of the medium affordances, like not having to respond immediately, um, back. So that would be the first pivot that I tell someone is to stop and think as elementary as it sounds, uh, before you, before you react to conflict or respond in conflict. Yeah. The second one, which I think is, uh, people don't always think about is a lot of times when we're responding in conflict, primarily conflict times when we think that someone's told us that we've done something wrong is when we're critiquing someone in response, we need to try to make a behavioral focus instead of a personality focus. Mm. And here's an example of that. I had a friend who was moving houses with her uh, partner who she lived with. And while he, he was tasked with cleaning out the garage, and when he did, he threw away a box of Christmas ornaments that <sighs> they had not used, you know, in like two years. And course, lo and behold, found out after they threw it away that this was the Christmas ornaments that her grandmother who had passed had gifted to her over time. Not grand. Yeah. So not great. Uh, But her immediate response to him and why they had a huge conflict over this, other than the obvious, was that he is the least sentimental person she's ever met. He's mm. never sentimental. He doesn't care about that sort of things. Of course, that didn't mean anything to who, to him. It's just indicative of his personality. So that's a personality attack. Mm-hmm. Instead, a pivot could have been, I wish that we could talk to each other before we make a decision of getting rid of a full box. Right. That's focused more on the behavior than the personality. Right. And it's more movable. And just think about sometimes how we talk to people. You did this. You always do that. This is because you're lazy. You don't care. You don't X, Y, Z. That's going to create a more destructive path than if we're focused on behaviors. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about that is that behaviors we view as changeable personalities. We do not usually view as changeable. Those are fixed. Yeah. So if you're saying, James, this is your personality you're less likely to actually communicate back to me and engage in problem solving Mm -hmm. because I've said it's you and who you are as a person instead of, Hey, you did this one behavior that we should re reset moving forward. So that's the, that's the other pivot that oftentimes comes to mind. Yeah. And I I think just to, in, in our last couple of minutes here, just to tie that all together, if we consider, 
the risks of doing something like avoiding and avoiding and avoiding and avoiding, and then eventually gunny sack explodes and we start kitchen sinking and stuff like that. If we have a problem with a series of behaviors that our significant other or our roommate or our sibling engages in, if we wait and wait and wait, when we finally do express that, it might come out as a personality characteristic rather right. than just a series of small behavioral you know, critiques. And, and, you know, we can talk about the difference between complaints and criticism and, and John Gottman's work, but we just don't have the time for it. But yeah, to, just to tie all that together, it's the, the avoidance, it's the gunny sacking, and those can manifest in those heightened personality-centered conflicts as opposed to just behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's also where closed listening comes in. So the idea of I'm too busy building up my rebuttal to you that I'm not actually listening to mm -hmm. your concerns. So as a final pivot, when you're listening to someone actually try to find the content there instead of spending time using their words or figuring out how to use their words against them. Cause again, that can lead to a personality attack instead of focusing on the behaviors. Yep. Yep. Definitely want to make sure that we repeat what people are saying to us. And speaking of repeating what people are saying to us, we're going to be repeating some of the mantras of identity management next week with our next guest. But for now, thank you so much, uh, Bailey, for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. This was fun. Talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.